Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and with the help of an expert, we break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm your host, Matt Popovitz, and with me is my co-host, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, we have a special guest today, don't we? Yes, we do. I'm really excited. So uh, we have Steve Cuss with us again. And I say again, because he was our first ever guest uh, way back in, I say way back, like a year ago in season one. Yeah. Um, and he is back to talk with us again. Yes, he is. He, um, you know, he was on our, our very first episode and it's one of our most downloaded episodes where Steve mm-hmm. talks about anxiety. And in case you don't know who Steve is, Steve is the author of Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a fantastic book. I highly suggest that even if you're like, well, I'm not a leader, like, yes, you should get this book and read this mm-hmm. book. It's, it's good for family life, work life, and all the, all the other spheres of life. He's also the founder of CapableLife.me, which is an online community that helps you function as a calm, aware, present human at work and at home. And we, we've brought Steve back to the podcast so we can talk about a specific aspect of anxiety. We're going to talk about anxiety in relationships, right, Rachel? Yeah. So um, what the way we kind of think of it as anxiety comes from internal, like just my own, how I'm navigating this world. And then also from the relationships that we're in. And it's interesting in his book, he says, he started thinking about it and he's like, all the best TV shows, especially like team dramas and stuff have to do with relational anxiety because right. it's just so relatable. Like we understand anxiety caused just because of being in relationship with people. Yeah. I mean, there, there are certain people that you know, and you may, you may love them deeply, but when you think of them, let alone when they enter the room, but even when you just think of them, there's like this anxious feeling that, that washes over you because for whatever reason, the dynamic with them just brings with it certain baggage. And that's what we're going to talk about today uh, is dealing with and the dynamic between you and the other person who, who stirs up anxiety in you. And so um, in this conversation, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll talk about some of the things that he actually highlights in his book, things like mm-hmm. triangulation or, or a phantom strike or uh, a double bind. We're going we're gonna to get into some specifics with him about mm-hmm. the, the different ways in which relationships at work and at home can cause some anxiety for us. Rachel, what are you looking forward to in this chat with Steve? You know, just because I'm I'm familiar with him and his work, I really appreciated the last time he was with us. He gave us specific things that I, as a as a person, can walk away and start doing today. And so I'm really looking forward to like specific things that I can do to help me with that relational. I can't say it in the podcast either. Relational <laughs> is that what we're going for? Relational That's right. anxiety. That's right. So relational I just anxiety. I just I want the practical. I want give me something that I can actually do. Uh, today uh, to help me navigate this. What about you? Same, same. I I want those, I want those practical things that I can use in those anxiety inducing relationships and scenarios to, uh, to reduce my anxiety and have a healthier dynamic with, you know, that other person, whoever they may be. Um, And before we dive in, Rachel, Rachel, I want to say, I want to say you as my friend and co-host, you you never cause me relational anxiety. It's it's always good. I appreciate it. As a, this, is, this is where you're supposed to say oh, right back to oh, me. Oh, sorry. Yes. And I, I didn't have my script. You never oh. caused me relationally excited. <laughs> you know what it is? It's because I think we do have good friendship. And I can say anytime you've bugged me, I've just told you. Oh, and it. I think that, we've just addressed it. 
Yeah, that is that is the key. That is the key. Yeah. I think as as we will hear in this conversation with Steve, <laughs> that um, addressing the issue is critical. And thankfully, it sounds like you and I have been able to do that in our relationship, which is why it's so anxiety free. But so, we're going to learn about how we can how we can have anxiety less relationships, or maybe not anxiety less relationships, but how to deal with the anxiety in the relationships that we have in this conversation with Steve Cuss. Let's let's go for it. Let's do it. Steve, welcome back to the podcast. It's so great to have you with us again. Yeah, good to be with you guys too. And great to have Rachel joining this time. That'll be fun. Thank you. Steve, um, we had such a positive uh, and and really overwhelming response to our first ever episode of Make It Simple, which was with you, where we talked mm-hmm. about kind of anxiety in general based on your fantastic book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. And we thought today that when we, when we bring you back, we would, we would narrow our focus a bit and talk about um, relationship anxiety or anxiety as it manifests itself within the most important relationships we have at home and at work and otherwise. And so uh, to kick off this part of the, th- this conversation, I wanted to, to first ask you, you know, what is the difference between internal sources of anxiety and external sources of anxiety? Because I think today we're going to, if we're talking about relationships, we're talking about an external source, right? Well, we are, it's funny, we are actually still talking about both. It's a great question because the problem with our relationships is if, if, if the anxiety that I teach, which is chronic anxiety, if it's generated by assumptions, which is one of the biggest things that generates anxiety is assumptions. Mm-hmm. Well, then uh, let's say, you know, the three of us right now are in relationship. I have assumptions about myself. I also have assumptions about you. And same with you. So what happens in our relationships is our internal sources and the external sources kind of convolute. And the way I say is it's like they breed and turn into some Lord of the Rings beast that shows up (laughs) because I have these assumptions and you do and they clash or they breed and grow. But in short, an internal source of anxiety is something inside me that I hold. An external source of anxiety is something coming at me from another person you know, as a pastor, for example, I'm a pastor. And so when people come to our church, maybe they're a guest, maybe they show up for the first time. They know me as pastor before they know me as a human, if that makes mm-hmm. sense, which is to say that they have assumptions and expectations coming at me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not careful, uh, I will catch those assumptions and they will breed with my assumptions about myself. So, you know, if somebody thinks that I should always be there for others, a, a good pastor is there when we're hurting. And if I always, also assume that about myself, well, now I'm going to be really anxious, scurrying around trying to please people. Well, one of the reasons I, it's important for me to ask that question is because when, when I was thinking, I mean, I'm thinking about anxiety in relationships in my life. One of the things I, I try to discern as I'm feeling the anxiety with this other person is, okay, is this a me thing or is this a you thing? Is this something you're bringing to me and this is really actually about you and you're making yeah. me feel this way? Or is this, yeah. this is about something that I'm carrying and holding on to and you're just, you're just making me aware of it as you approach me. Yeah. Uh, but, but kind of what I hear you saying is that often it's both of those. Both. Is that, is that yeah. right or no? It's often both. And also what I found helpful is I, I'm less interested initially in what's true. This may sound strange at first. If somebody's coming at me and maybe they're putting a lot on me that is not mine to carry, mm-hmm. my anxiety, if I don't manage it, I'll get defensive and combative. Hey, man, that's your stuff. And I'm like pushing it back on them. 
actually, the, the tools that I was trained in increase my capacity to step into their chaos, even if I'm being blamed or attacked, mm-hmm. and actually help diffuse them. Mm-hmm. So in the initial stage, I'm actually trying not to listen through the lens of, is this true? What I'm trying to do is listen in the lens of what's going on in this person? What do they need from me? And can I give it to them with integrity? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not uncommon that someone will come at me pretty hot because they've gotten all worked up with their own assumptions. By the time they finally meet with me, they're cooked, right? And so they come in pretty hot. And if, if I'm defensive, it's not helpful. But if I simply try to listen as long, long enough so that they feel understood, then a lot of their accusations dissolve. Um, and then we can get to the good stuff. I, I've also had it where people come at me and they'll say, hey, here's what you did. And as soon as they say, I know it's true. I, I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit, but I just, I know, okay, you're telling me the truth. That's usually blind spot knowledge. I've had that a number of times. Someone will say, I don't know if you realize that you do this. And I'm like, I, this may sound crazy to you because I did not know I was doing that. And yeah. I'm really sorry. Uh, so yeah. it can go both ways. Yeah. Um, Steve, before we get too far into, uh, I, I, this may be a bigger question than what we're, what we're talking about. But um, when you talk about relationship anxiety, a lot of times this idea of family systems theory comes up. Can you give us like, you know, a quick yeah. overview or an understanding of family systems theory? Yeah. It, it, everything I teach is based on systems theory. And of course the gospel too. Um, I love, I love systems theory because it does study a kind of anxiety that is based on falsehood, which is assumptions and false belief. And that's why I, I say, man, the gospel becomes the, the antidote. Okay, so systems theory in a nutshell, if you take uh, traditional psychotherapy, somebody maybe is depressed. They mm-hmm. go to the counselor and the counselor looks inside that person. What's going on in you that's generating depression? And maybe you look at your childhood and things like that. I think all of that is fantastic. I happen to be married to one of those therapists. I'm a big fan of it. Systems theory, when the person comes in depressed, the systems theorist says, what's going on in your relationships that you are the one exhibiting the sickness of the relationship? So it's less about the person being sick and it's more about the relational pattern. Uh, I, I remember a simple case of a workaholic and somewhat emotionally absent father and a people-pleasing workaholic mom. They had five kids, and the senior in high school was the oldest kid. And this guy was um, the taxi for the other kids to get them to their events. He was the cook. He ran, he put them to bed, and then he started his homework. So this kid gets into depression. Mom and dad send him to a counselor, and a good uh, systems theory counselor will say, let's get the whole family in. Because this kid's depression is, is evidence that the family is sick, not this person. That would be system serious in a nutshell. Okay. So then when it comes to church staffing or you know, any kind of group of people, uh, it's fascinating. You can start looking at recurring patterns in, of behavior in those people. And you can see not just sickness. Uh, systems theory doesn't just look at sickness. And it's also looking at health. Uh, and so you're also looking for recurring patterns of health as well. 
Thanks, Steve. That's that, that, that's really really helpful. That's uh, fascinating. Uh, it, I think. Yeah. It, it 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 really it really is. You know, just the the notion that it's it's you know what I'm feeling is not just a result of something that's going on inside of me, but but I'm part of I'm part of a system. My family's yeah. a system. My workplace is a system, and and all mm-hmm. of that has it makes so much sense. It sounds so simple, but but yet yeah. it's a profound insight that it's not just a me thing. It's a we thing. As I talk about what's going on. Me, it's my right? favorite thing about systems theory. It's like, it's like this magical way of seeing the world that we've always felt. Like we've yeah. always, we're like, that is what it is, but maybe no <laughs> one ever taught it to us. I have a lot of fun when I do workshops because people come away revolutionized and it's not mm-hmm. really because of me. It's because they've never seen systems theory before yeah. sure. uh, and start showing it to them. And they're like, this is unbelievable. So it is, it's a very fun theory. The other, my other favorite thing about it, which I think is a very gospel idea is when we're anxious, we're looking for someone to blame. Mm. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor, somebody mistreats me uh, or I make a mistake. And my human tendency is to blame, demonize, or minimize my mistake. You know, oh, if only you knew how hard my job is, you give me a break, this kind of stuff. I think system theory, because I am part of the system, that means I am always part of the problem. Mm. And then therefore... There's no room for me to blame because I'm so busy working on myself. And that feels to me like a very gospel idea. I think in the fruit of the spirit, self-control to me would be the one fruit that is the system's work. Our kiddo definitely has big emotions. And part of it is that, you know, those tantrums were lasting for a really long amount of time, like way above what I think they say. I mean, yeah, they were just so long. So I think for sure with some of the techniques, like the light switch, which was one of the first things we learned with you guys, the duration of those immediately started to cut down. Steve, as we as we focus in again on relational anxiety, mm. one of the things that I wanted to talk about with you is um, the idea of a, of being in a in a in a double bind. Mm. There 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 are many instances as in, in my life as a as a, as a father as a as a leader uh, as a pastor where I'll feel in a in a particular with a particular person or in a particular situation with a person where I just I feel stuck. I feel like there, there are no good choices. Yes. No, no matter if yeah. I do this, they're going to be mad. If I do this, I'm going to compromise my my values or something. Yes. So I, I just feel stuck. I feel like when I'm with a particular, and there are certain people where I feel this more often than others. Where yes. when this person yeah. comes to me, there's going to be no good options. Yeah, there's going to be no good options. Um, is that is that really what a double bind is? And 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 if so, like how, how do you how do you deal with that? What do you do in those situations? Yeah. So it it is. Generally speaking, what a double bind is, a purely a clinical double bind, which is a Greg Bateson idea, a pure double bind is that I give you two choices that, a, that one of the choices negates the other one. Hmm. Like that's a pure double bind. So like if I gave you two shirts for Christmas, Matt, and they're both Eddie Bauer, just looking at your torso, they're probably large, tall. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I give you two large, tall Eddie Bauer shirts and you like them both, but you come down wearing one of the shirts later on Christmas Day, and I punish you for not choosing the other shirt. Mm. That would be a pure double bind because mm. whatever you choose condemns the other choice. Yeah. But just the run, your run-of-the-mill garden variety double bind is this idea that you just feel like, 
I just have this feeling that no matter what I try to do, regardless of my intent and effort, I'm going to lose with you. That would mm. be like a, a general double bind. That's kind of what you're describing. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is with, with narcissists and psychopaths, to be serious, they intentionally use these techniques to make yeah. you crazy, to actually generate insanity inside you. Mm. So it really is a, it's a diabolical thing. Your average church member is not a psychopath. Um, <laughs> oftentimes, something else is going on. They're just confused. Sometimes yeah. they don't know what they want. Yeah. And their confusion is double-binding you because mm. they're not clear on the target. I, I was sitting down with a staff member at our church this week, and he was just sharing with me that um, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, our new pastor is here. And since you've been gone, one of our usual suspect critics took me out for coffee to give me a piece of his mind. Now, he's been doing this for 10, 15 years. Nothing's ever changed. He's always unhappy. But the staff member just paused at one point and said, what is it you want? Like, what do you mm. want? And he, he's like, I don't know. Well, mm. that's, that's partly why you're never happy because you want us to hit a target that you don't, you haven't even defined. Yeah. Um, so that, I'd be happy to go into more of it. There are techniques to, to get out of a double yeah. bind, but that would be generally it. it, it, well, is I, it go, go, ahead. Go, go ahead, Rachel. No, I was going to say, so that's my question. Let's say you're in a leadership position in particular, like what's one, because it just feels like, well, if I'm going to, I'm going to lose either way. I can see that becoming very frustrating very it's quickly. Very hard. It's very hard, yeah, especially and, when and you're a people pleaser. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so like, just what is a technique or a way? How do I, do I just go about my life saying, well, I'm just going to do what's best for me because I'm going to lose either way. Or like, <laughs> what's the way to navigate that? It's a great question. Yeah. The step number one is to recognize you're in a double bind. Because it is this wasted energy. It's just gonna. It's gonna oh, cause an ulcer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, probably the simplest double bind that pastors face the last two years is is the COVID decisions. With are we meeting in yeah. person? Are we wearing masks? Sure. And what pastors say is is when we're anxious, we make generalizations that aren't true because anxiety is based on assumptions. And so, what I've heard from a lot of pastors is they'll say, no matter what I decide, fifty percent of the church is mad. I don't know if you guys have heard that. Maybe you've said yeah. it. Oh yeah. But sure. but it's actually not true. So like what's true in our church is no matter what we decided, more than usual a number of people got mad. That's true. What's also true is people got mad on either side of our decision. That was true as well. But it wasn't true that 50% of our church got mad. Actually, 80% of our church was fine. Mm -hmm. But we normally hear from 3% of the church, and now we're hearing from 15% of the church, and it feels like everybody. Sure. So it's really important. I, I really do. I mean, I stake my life on the idea that Jesus sets me free when I know what's true. And so what I'm look, looking to do is notice, is it actually a double bind? That's the question. Am I actually in a double bind? And with COVID decisions, no, I'm not in a double bind. What's true is we will make the best call we know how to make. And, and the usual, depending on our decision, the usual critics on one camp will tell us about it. Mm-hmm. or Absolutely. both camps. And so you just have to realize that if it's impossible to please everybody, then just stop playing that game. Mm. Um, I've done this with just a small handful of my usual suspect critics. I'm not talking about your average person that has feedback and they just need to tell you or, or they're right. I'm talking about the people that they're kind of out to get you. Um, mm. I've had a couple of them where I'll just sit down with them and say, the, the game is Steve loses. 
that's the mm. game we play. So let me just lose. Like, like mm. kick me around. Let's go. Because they kind of want me to give them my insight. And I remember telling one guy particular, I'm like, you have lost the right to my insight. I'm not, give, I'm not telling you what I think anymore because you take it and twist it. You tell all your friends, you spread gossip about me. Yeah. So you've lost the right to hear my opinion. Um, mm. I'm just here because I think the game is no matter what, I'm going to lose. So let's, let's play that game. And it very, it's very exposing, especially when I have an elder. Usually it's, I've got an elder sure. present for those meetings. Suddenly the person, they don't know how to play that game because I've, I've spoiled it for them. One of the other sources of relational anxiety that you talk about in your book is the the phantom strike, mm. the the kind of nameless, faceless crowd that uh, that that has opinions or thoughts or criticisms, um, and and certainly in, in and, and it feels like that's one that's like very specific to. To, to leadership in general, like maybe in the in the marketplace or in the workplace, or in particular, like from my perspective as a as a parish pastor, that's that's the one as I as I've listened to you talk about it and read about it has resonated perhaps most deeply with me yeah. because the you know the the invisible they who have all these yeah. opinions, yeah. and when I get a sense of the invisible army coming at me through the feedback of one person, that that causes a ton of anxiety in me, yeah. a yeah. ton of anxiety in me, and I often feel like I I don't know how to deal with it, and I'm just afraid that I'm going to get mad, yeah. and so I have to like pull myself from that situation. Uh, w- would you talk a little bit about like the phantom strike and like maybe yeah. how you deal with the invisible they? Yeah, it really is painful. And I think if you're worried about getting mad, that, that anger is, is your reaction to being hurt, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so one of your options is to share with the phantom messenger what it's like to be you. And you're never doing it in a self-pity way. You kind of have to get yourself to a place where it is a, a gospel move, not a self-indulgent move. Mm-hmm. But I've done that with some people. I, I had one lady, she would call me... So, Somebody would come to her house, rant to her, and then she couldn't hold it. And she actually, I think, genuinely was trying to be courteous to me by letting me know, hey, this guy's upset. Mm-hmm. But the problem with the phantom strike is it's always also triangulation. Yeah. So, so then I call that guy. He then denies that he's upset. I'll, I'll call him and say, hey, Jane told me that you're really mad. No, I'm not, he says. <laughs> well, now I've got nothing. I can't. Now yeah. Jane's in trouble. And so with her, this happened three or four times. I called her. I said, look, here's what's going on. You call me. I get really anxious because anytime someone, I, I don't know if you've had this, Jane, but when people talk about you behind your back, it's the worst. Thing. And it happens a lot to pastors and I can't stop that. But I would just rather not know about it, honestly. So mm-hmm. would you mind helping me that next time David rants to you, would you just tell David, hey, Steve's a reasonable person. Go meet with him and tell him. He, he'll listen to you. And then don't, please don't call me. I'm not telling you to stop him from ranting. Like, I don't know that Jane would be able to do that. But just, just say to David, hey, just call Steve. But please don't call me. And can we just trust that David will come to me? So that's one option is to go to the phantom messenger and let them know what it's like to be you. Because if, if they put themselves in your shoes for 10 seconds, they would never do it to you. Mm. And they just, but they're not bad people. But then there is the the other kind of phantom messenger. That's actually the person who's most worked up, but they don't have the emotional maturity to come to you by themselves. So they have to get a mob because they don't. Particularly when you're the pastor, they feel a massive power imbalance between mm. them and you. So they need to mob up to match your power. You feel destroyed, 
and they feel like it's now a fair fight. Hmm. Um, with that person, it's much trickier. The most aggressive move I've ever made is I called some of the people in the mob hmm. and I said, hey, Greg is telling me, telling me that you didn't like Christmas Eve service. Hmm. And then this guy's like, what? No. <laughs> like, no, what happened is Greg went on a rant and I didn't really know what to say. So I just kind of nodded. I'm like, yeah. well, your nodding is Greg grabbing you and putting. Yeah. So I, diffu- I diffused them all that way. But those are two tools. The, the most powerful thing to do is to do something so you're not spinning, even if it yeah. doesn't go well, just to right. be proactive about it. And I found tremendous power in letting people know I'm a human being. And that very quickly divides the decent human beings from the bullies. Yeah, and, sure. And now you know. At that point, now you, you're very aware. But that could that could be a that could I think of myself like at least you know and you tell me if I'm wrong here Steve but part of, I resonate with tell them how this is making you feel and, yeah. and let them let them in on your experience but but I also yeah. worry about that becoming because of the power dynamic that's at work in churches in particular or even like if I'm you know if I'm 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 dad at home like there's there's a power dynamic there of mm. of perhaps it becoming m- manipulative on my part where. I, I'm getting some some phantom strike feedback from from people. The invisible they is coming at me, um, and then I turn the tables and, and and make it about how I'm feeling and and uh, about about my emotions and, and and my needs. Could that become manipulative on my part? Because because I get wary of that. Yeah, I think it probably could. I, I my goal with my congregation is just that we keep seeing each other as human, mm-hmm. and I just think there's something about pastors that people forget that we're human, and they either idolize us or they demonize us, you know? So I I just think it's healthy for everybody to remember this is a human being. But to your point, Matt, like, like most of the time I'm saying to the messenger, um, I'll meet with anyone set, set the meeting. I I don't mind showing up to a hostile room where I'm outnumbered. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's, but, but it does, I mean, very rarely does somebody say, Oh, that Steve, that would be great. Let me get that meeting because we've got 35 people. <laughs> Very rarely. They, yeah, right. Because what's really going on is they don't have the emotional maturity to simply have a frank conversation with you. And there's a lot of other tools you can use. I can name a, a couple of dozen people in my church. I mean, I'm talking 25 or 30 people in my church who have been such a gift to me because they will sit mm-hmm. me down, look me in the eye and say, Steve, mm-hmm. th- you, this was wrong. Uh, the chairman of my elders, uh, Jeff, his name, his name was when he was serving. He pulled me aside one day and he says, I don't think you realize what you're doing in an elder meeting. You come in, you want us to collaborate with you on something. And so you tell us what you're thinking. And it's the first we've ever thought about it. We've come from work. You've <laughs> thought about it about 200 hours. He'll see, like you've obsessed over it mm-hmm. and you were trained in it in school. But now we have to think about it. And then you want to know what we think. And then we try to help you by giving you what we think. And then you punish us for not thinking it through. Like you get defensive and frustrated. Now, when Jeff told me that, as soon as he, that's, that's criticism, he's giving me criticism. I knew as soon as he said, I'm like, you are right. That's exactly what's going on. And now I get this incredible gift to repent to you, mm-hmm. to the elders. I'm going to now ask you and the elders to show me when I'm doing this. Now that's, that's a that's could have been a phantom situation that was actually a gift. Mm-hmm. So, but that's because Jeff had the emotional maturity to just address me directly. Yeah. Most of these people, um, 
that I think it would help them to know the damage they're causing. Yeah, well, it sounds kind of like um, you're you're making the effort, and it's because I, I believe we've been, like you said, we have freedom in Jesus to take out the part that's causing the anxiety. Like it might not be the message that you hear; it's the phantom day and the, you know, the the mob part. So it's almost like cutting through all that to get to what's the actual issue that I can have control over. And, and the whole nature of phantom mobs is relational anxiety. It, it's the only form of anxiety that's contagious. Chronic anxiety is the only form of anxiety that's mm. contagious. Grief is not contagious. Trauma is not contagious. But chronic anxiety is contagious. And some people may be saying, well, wait a minute, like I've been with a traumatized person and I've come away anxious. That's because your assumptions about how you should be with a traumatized person got triggered. Mm -hmm. You think sure. you should know what to say or yeah. that, that's your chronic anxiety. And so the problem with a phantom mob is if anxiety is contagious, people will adopt each other's level of frustration even though they didn't have it. Huh. Our church, we were a portable church and we built from the ground up in a neighborhood that had no development. It was kind of a rural neighborhood. And we had 40 to 50 neighbors furious at us for building a church, just red hot mad that they felt robbed by the city. It was all this stuff. Yeah. And you talk about a phantom mob, the amount that they would rile each other up before coming into the meeting and they didn't know what to do with reasonable people. When we were there listening to them and hearing their concern, they, they were kind of an angry at us for being reasonable. I remember in the city council meetings, I would intentionally sit next to some of the more hostile neighbors just to try to be human. And I would, I would say, hi, hi. And I would keep making eye contact. And it just eventually, none of them had the courage to be that rude. Like after a while, they had to acknowledge me. <laughs> but, but they'd had so many meetings without me that had decided that I'm an evil, literally evil person out to destroy their lives that um, it was very difficult for them to then give us a shake. So that yeah. phantom mobs are quite deadly. Yeah. Sure. Um, I wanted to go back. You mentioned the word triangulation, and I think that one's very interesting. So I was wondering mm -hmm. if you could uh, double click on that. And yeah. Expand on that a little. Yeah. So triangulation is generally any relationship with three people in it that should only have two people in it. <laughs> so yeah. we have, like, we are right now in a triangle. There's three of mm -hmm. us, but we're all talking together. So we're not triangulated. Mm -hmm. But if, um, you know, if Rachel, if you, if, if let's say you lost power and we lost you on Zoom right now, and I'd say to Matt, gosh, Rachel's kind of weird, isn't she? <laughs> and Matt says, yeah, um, we just have her around because we need like a token female. And then you come back on, oh, hi, Rachel. And we're all polite. Yeah. We're triangulated. Sure. Uh, we have, um, we should be, if, if I really think you're weird, or if I really think that you're on the show as a token female, Mm -hmm. then I would just, should just say it. But it's it's that sideways energy to a third yeah. person. Uh, yeah. Middle school relationships are almost it. all triangulated. Yeah. Yeah. Almost yeah. every middle school relationship has a <laughs> triangulated relationship. Well, I experienced this a lot just like in, in family dynamics. There's a person yeah. in the family that, you know, when, whenever, whenever two are gathered, there's the other we talk about. <laughs> and, 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 and that that's triangulation, right? Like, you know, whenever... whenever be. It, it but, depends... But, but, if there's an Go issue ahead. we need to talk about with that person that we're just, mm -hmm. we just talk about them rather than actually deal with the issue with them. Right. I mean, I guess in, in some ways, my wife and I are constantly triangulating against our children as we try to figure out child <laughs> right. raising. That's true. But 
there's still a congruence. Uh, like on our church staff, one of our one of our staff behavioral values is we talk about each other the same way we talk to each other. That's one of our spoken and written values. So the way I, I don't mind, like when I was the lead pastor at our church, it, I had no problem that my staff talked about me behind my back. That feels very normal to me. I just trust that the way they talk to me is congruent with the way they talk about me. And all of these rules, there's always grace and room. Somebody might need to rant about me to a friend. I have no problem with that. It's the, it's most of these rules that we're talking about are predictable patterns. That's where it becomes a problem Mm -hmm. is, is like Alex had a bad experience with me. So she's ranting. No problem. I'm glad she got to get it off her shoulders. Alex is always ranting. Now we have a problem because mm-hmm. when I meet with her, she says things are fine. For example, that would be triangulation. Sure. Okay. Um, and then, uh, I've, I've never, oh, and then the other rule is we talk to each other before we talk about each other. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. our other rule. So that kind of helps give us a bit more leeway, maybe in the triangulation situation. You like stories of inspiration, stories of faith, stories of encouragement. Then I hope you will check out my podcast where I interview people of faith who share their stories of encouragement, their stories of inspiration, their stories of hope, and overcoming trials and difficulties that they have faced in their life and that we have faced in our lives as well. Hope you check it out. What What's the best way you found to dif- diffuse a, a triangulated situation? I mean, honestly, share the information with everybody. It, it's, it's early in my ministry. I had a lady come in and she basically said, can you help me make my husband spiritual? She didn't quite say it that way, but. She had been doing a Beth Moore study, and those old Beth Moore studies have an hour of homework a day. Mm-hmm. And she loved it, and she felt really connected to God. And her husband wasn't really a Bible study guy. He's more of a pull on his flannel shirt and go fix a car for a single mother kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And she had put more spiritual value on Bible study than helping people in need. Mm-hmm. So she wanted me to kind of trick him into becoming spiritual, and she asked me to call him and say that the Holy Spirit had told me to call him. Sure. And uh, I just said, oh, I'd be happy to call your husband. Um, what I'll do is I'll just say, hey, your wife was in, and she asked me to say that the Holy Spirit told me to call you <laughs> about your spiritual condition, about which I have no concern at all. I'm not concerned mm-hmm. about your spiritual walk at all, but she is, so much so that she came to see me. And then I said to the wife, you know, would you, and, oh, forget it. Don't worry. I, I knew I shouldn't have come to see you. That would be tri- detriangulation. Like, why are we talking why isn't he in the room? Right. Just give him the dignity of being in the room so he can hear me say, I think fixing a car for a spiritual a single mother is as spiritual as reading your Bible. I think that's a wonderful way to worship God. Mm-hmm. Um, or why, why doesn't she come to me and say, I'm concerned about my husband. Can you help me with my concern? That's not triangulation. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of, it's secret keeping. Mm-hmm. So usually the, the best way forward is just to say, look, I'm not going to keep this secret. So you've got six hours to tell them and then I'm calling them. And they everyone hates it every time. <laughs> but they stop coming to you. After, like that that puts an end. You, your word gets out. 
that I won't keep secrets against other people. Mm-hmm. And of course, in pastoral care, there's confidentiality that's different. Yeah. That's sure. a different, that's, you know, I'm keeping your secret about you, mm-hmm. but I'm not, because what will happen is you'll come and talk to me. Then you'll go home to your husband and you'll say, I was talking to Steve and Steve and I both think mm. blank. And then next Sunday I get up to preach and I've got this really grumpy guy in the second <laughs> row looking. I'm like, what's the problem? All I did was sit with this lady, but she's triangulated me and wielded me against her husband right. without me even realizing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so just to make sure I'm hearing you correctly, the, the best way to diffuse triangulation is just to make sure all people in the triangle know all the things that yep. have been said and assumed yep. in, 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 that, in that relationship between the three of you, right? Right. That's it. Yeah. Steve, is there, is there anything when it comes to like relational anxiety? I mean, we've talked about a couple things that, that you highlight in your book, you know, the, um, the, the double bind, triangulation, uh, phantom strikes. Is, is there anything else about relationship anxiety that would be really important for us to, to be mindful of? Yeah. The, the most important tool in relational anxiety is to first put the oxygen mask on your own face before blaming others. Like it's just, there's something about humans that we don't want to take responsibility. I think it's almost the original sin in Genesis, you know, hiding and blaming. So I think what so often when I'm frustrated with somebody, I'm just trying to be right. So that in my head, I can have a little anger fantasy about them. And God can pat me on the head and say, boy, Steve, you're just, you're amazing. Like, thank God for you. But the moment I get over myself and stop being self-righteous and really like, okay, Lord, what's going on and what am I doing that's contributing to it? One simple example, I went through a seri- uh, uh, an era where I felt sorry for myself and all pastors because of how hard it was to have friendship in the church. Hmm. Like I remember I would say, and I still say this, I'd say, you know, I'm the only person in our friend group where my job gets criticized on a regular basis. I don't sit around and complain about the accountant, but, <laughs> but all my friends talk about my sermons. And, and so I get into kind of, oh, how terrible is this? But it really helped me to realize, well, wait a minute, what's it like being my friend? Because I'm the only guy in their friend group sure. that gets up and tells them how to live their life every week on a, <laughs> behind a pulpit. That's weird. Like, that's yeah. not what a friend does. And that would be an example of a system shift. Like, well, what can I take responsibility for? I remember I had a friend tell me once, he said, when you knock on my door, I don't know if you're coming over for a beer or to request me to volunteer. Like, <sighs> which hat are you wearing when you walk in my door? Because I have always, I've had that same, when you're walking in my door, am I pastor or my friend? But of course, it's the same for my friends too. So that would be an example of the first thing to do in, in relationships. The second step is to see if you can map out like chess, the recurring predictable pattern of behavior. Here's what I do. Here's what she does. Here's what I do next. Hmm. And, th- and now you've, once you've seen the pattern, it's hard to keep walking that pattern because you're kind of onto it. Um, so when I'm doing marriage counseling, that's the number one thing we work on. A couple comes in because they're fighting all the time. They want to talk about what they're fighting about, like sex or money, or mm-hmm. but system theory is only interested in the pattern of your fight. Who starts it? Who escalates it? Who needs space? Who smothers? How is it resolved? That mm-hmm. pattern in all marriages is predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we can help you break your predictable patterns, then you can yeah. 
break your relational anxiety. Yeah. There's incredible power in that. Just like identifying the dance moves we make when we get to this place we don't like. And if we, we can identify those and articulate them, then maybe we, we have a shot at not repeating this the next time we see it starting, right? One of the besetting sins of my leadership is overfunctioning. When somebody treats me badly, I get more polite. Mm. What? What? Like, and so the phantom mobs, the triangulation, all of that, my early years were, were anxiously scurrying around trying to make everyone okay when they were the ones generating the anxiety. Yeah. And so it's a more advanced tool. I'm a little reticent to bring it up on a podcast, but the advanced tool is once you've done step one and two, like what's my responsibility? What's the pattern? Mm-hmm. It, then you got to say, well, where's the anxiety coming? Who's generating it? Hmm. And how can I make them carry it in a non-vindictive way? Yeah. Because what happens with pastors is we, we kind of believe we're paid to be nice. <laughs> so when people mistreat us, we believe that Jesus says to be nice, but there's nothing in the gospel about being nice. You can still love somebody and have a very direct conversation about their behavior. I remember saying to one guy, I was like, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but three out of four times when I see you coming, I'm bracing myself to get hit. Hmm. So is that the way you want me to experience you? If that is, then that's what that's accurate. That's that he was quite surprised, and he it really changed his posture for about three months, and then yeah, um, yeah. What would you say? Like, how, how can we have that conversation about the things that someone you know maybe is doing that 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 is stirring some anxiety or us, or or even just having the conversation about um, about. How, our experience in a particular situation when this other person does this typical thing or says this typical thing, how how can we have that conversation with, I'm thinking of like a spouse um, and the most intimate and powerful of relationships that you have uh, with, with your husband or your wife. And there's, there's something that, that they do uh, good, bad, or otherwise that stirs this anxious response in you. Like for, for example, in, in my house, there is, there is typically an anxious, an anxious response on Tuesday evenings. When I come home, I can feel it. We've talked about it because Tuesday is my busiest day and I am utterly empty and really depleted. And, and uh, I can sense it. And Lisa and I have discussed it, how when I come into the house on Tuesday, she's very much like, on eggshells, not because I'm going to explode, just because she just know she she knows it's hard for me that day, right? But it can be a sensitive thing for us to talk about, like Matt, when you come home like this, I feel like this because then I'll you know I feel guilty, like oh great, another thing to worry about on Tuesdays, you know, like it becomes a whole a whole thing. How do you have those conversations in those most intimate and sensitive of relationships about what what your experience is? And the anxiety you're feeling when, when someone you care about so deeply is doing, you know, X, Y, or Z? Oh, it's such a great question. I remember um, when our kids were younger, it, it took me a while to realize that I'd walk through the door, Lisa would stop whatever she was doing, make a cup of tea, and sit down for about 20 minutes and just look at me while I just went, <laughs> like, it was an incredible gift that she had learned that the predictable recurring pattern was that I come in kind of full and I just have to speak it out and then I can relax. And so it was an incredible act of service, especially when I realized often at great cost to her, Mm. I'm talking about people she knows and loves. And so, so I love the pattern you've just identified. There's a lot of assumptions in that pattern, which makes for good news because that means there's a lot of potential breakthrough in that pattern. 
So step number one is you have the conversation when you're both calm. You never have it when you're both anxious. It just won't work. Um, And then what you're doing is one of the most powerful tools to diffuse anxiety is curiosity. Curiosity is also one of the most powerful tools to move towards someone emotionally. Mm -hmm. So for you and your wife to simply be curious about each other and what that would look like is maybe on a Saturday, Hey, could we chat about the Tuesday syndrome? Mm. I would. What's your wife's name, Matt? It, it's Lisa. Lisa. Yeah, we're both we're both married to Lisa. Okay, uh, Lisa. I would love to know what it's like for you when I burst through the door on Tuesday, mm. and um, I'd like to share what it's like for me. And here's what I'm afraid of: I'm afraid that you're carrying something you shouldn't have to carry. Yeah. But what you're doing is you're just taking the problem. You know, it's no longer you're not looking at the problem inside the other person. You're like holding hands and the problem's out there. Because mm. what I'm hearing, Matt, is like, well, is it true that Tuesdays have to be fully depleting? Um, can you stop somewhere on the way home and have a friend? Can you call a friend? Like, that's what I learned with my wife. I was like, this poor woman, it's incredible gift that she's the one that takes it, but I can serve her by calling friends so she's not always the one that takes it, mm. stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But when you're in anxiety's grip, you lose your imagination, so you just keep bearing down. Mm. So, so, so just true. being curious, um, I bet you and your wife could come up with 25 solutions. Yeah. And then what's also true, Matt, is probably three out of 10 times, you'll still come home blustery, but it's better than the eight out of 10 times you did before. Yeah. Right. That's the other truth. There's none of these things we're talking about are like these perfect solutions. They just stop us from being in anxiety's grip. Yeah. I love That's the phrase good. you used when, when you are in anxiety, you lose your imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it actually turns your, it calcifies your thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about a double bind. It's almost like, I wonder if a lot of times we create an imagined double bind. It's like, well, I've, I'm anxious. These are my only solutions. I can't see a way out. And I love what you said about um, dealing with it during a calm time, not yes. just in the, in the manic moment of it. Oh, that's, that's what we do with our kids is when we notice these patterns, we wait until we're calm because having the conversation will make you anxious, very mm-hmm. vulnerable. Sure. And you just have to know it and push through it. I mean, the last time my wife and I had a, a, a calm conversation about anxiety was like yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a common thing in our house. Well, and, and it makes it easier for it to be about the dynamic or about the issue rather than about the person. Because like when we're, we're, when we're, when we're in the middle of the, the thing that's stirring anxiety, when, when, you, when you talk, when, when the person who's feeling the anxiety talks about the thing that I'm doing that's causing the anxiety, they're talking about me because I'm in that moment. I'm feeling it right now. So it feels very accusatory. Yeah. But when we, if we take a beat, we take some space and we talk about it on a Saturday versus a Tuesday, we can talk about the thing rather than point fingers at each other. That's, that's, that's exactly what I'm hearing you say, right, Steve? That's right. It's, it's humans are looking to always hide and blame. And so by hiding, I just mean, I'm obviously Adam and Eve hiding, but I just mm-hmm. mean not take responsibility. So one of the ways I can hide is to say, say to my wife, you don't understand how hard it is to be me. That's hiding. Mm-hmm. I think actually she of all people knows how hard it is to be me because she has to live <laughs> with me. Yeah. But taking responsibility is... I think what I've done, honey, is I've, I've overscheduled my Tuesday because I believe like that I have to get everything done. And when I come home, I've got nothing left. But as I think about it, that's actually not true. So what would help you? Like, what could I do? That's taking responsibility. But then now my wife feels very safe to say, it really hurts me. Like, like, I don't think you realize that when you're done talking, I'm carrying a lot of your relational stuff, you know, 
we had, my wife and I had this conversation years ago where we started to notice, okay, I have a conflict at work. I come home, I tell her, then I go back and resolve it. And then I never tell her that <laughs> she's left unresolved. Sure. Yeah. And she, she's like, this is not fair. And when I heard yeah. it at my heart, bro, I was like, that is so unfair of me what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. But, but system theory gives me the power to say, oh, that's unfair. But otherwise, hiding says, well, you should try going to work. That's what's hot, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Steve, as, as we kind of wrap up and everything, um, I love what you shared about, you know, specific ways to deal with relational anxiety relationship, relationship, anxiety, relational anxiety about, you know, what's my responsibility and seeing the person as human and patterns. So if it, for our listener, for the people listening, we've, we've shared all this and regardless of what kind of anxiety you have, like, what is the like word of encouragement to triage and to deal with that, um, that you would want to leave people with? Yeah. I, the, the thing about anxiety is, is if you really get into the clinical nature of it, it does calcify the brain. It stops your imagination. It blocks your awareness of God's presence. You feel this sense of doom and this weight that you have to figure everything out. It's so hard. So I think my final word is that you really can, if you can simply learn to notice when you're filled with anxiety, and if you can, in, you have to make the intentional decision in the moment to get off the treadmill. Yeah. Just pause. And it's unbelievable what 60 seconds to three minutes can do. It can change your life. Um, that's probably like right before we did this podcast, I lit my awareness of God candle. Just as, just like, okay, the Lord's with me. He's God is as close as this flame right now. Mm-hmm. That took 10 seconds to do, but it's right there. Um, it's very difficult to be in anxiety's grip when I'm aware of God. Very difficult to be aware of God when I'm in anxiety's grip. So perfect love casting out fear. Mm-hmm. To me, it's not a, a memorized verse. It's like life and death. Yeah, yeah. Steve, thanks so much for being with us today and for being so generous with your wisdom and your time. We really appreciate yeah. it. Uh, you bet. Great to be with you guys. Yes, thank you so much. Rachel, I said it before this interview. I'm going to say it again afterward. I'm thankful for for our relationship, which so often is 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 free from anxiety. Um, talking Absolutely. with talking with Steve about how difficult relationships can be made me thankful for those relationships, and I'm, I've got so many of them where where even though there is you know there's always you know tension or things at times, uh, I'm thankful for those where we can diffuse the tension or deal with issues with with health and ease and and very little anxiety. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and listening to him just reminded me like, oh, I remember, I know why this is one of our most listened to podcasts because he yeah. just shows up. He has such a loving, positive perspective of people. Uh, I appreciate what he brings to the table. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what was something that, that stood out to you in the conversation that Steve said? You know, right out of the gate, he said, um, you, you have to deal with what are the assumptions I'm making. Yeah. And it just was like this light bulb of like, oh yeah, like so much of it is, um, when dealing with that anxiety is, is just being honest about what are the assumptions I'm making? And I know that, um, tagging onto that, I've recognized in myself that I'll start, um, having fake conversations Hmm. and those will cause a lot of anxiety because it's just based on assumptions instead of just going to the person and saying like, you know, this is going on, let's deal with this, or I'm feeling anxiety over this. And so, um, just, just that's that hard and fast, like start with your assumptions um, and, and recognize that before you can deal with any of this. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. we, we carry so much, um, uh, into every interaction, right. Yeah. That, that is, that is making it more complex that is adding to the anxiety or there's this story we're telling ourselves mm-hmm. about the other person or how this thing is going to go or, or how we should be feeling or how we should be treated. And, and that, that all plays in to the, the dysfunctional dynamic and the anxiety that we're feeling, you know, all this, all this stuff that we're carrying with us are our assumptions, but then also the assumptions of the other person that they bring into it. Yeah. And he, um, he talks about this in his book and he kind of danced around it, but he, he brings up this idea of mixed messages. And like so many times, you know, that's what you see with, with, when, when somebody's being passive aggressive or manipulative, you'll see mixed messages. And he, he just kind of says, so assume the message that you want to be true. And that mm-hmm. idea of, um, ass- this is what he talks about. I believe when he says, you know, remember that they're human, make them human. I try and make myself human. Like, assume the best in people and and work from that first and just see what happens. See what happens if you assume this person said this hurtful thing, whatever situation, I'm going to just assume that's not what they meant. I'm going to just go talk to them and deal with it from a place mm-hmm. of love rather than um, the anxiety and the hiding and the blaming that he talks about. Yeah. Yeah. If, if someone's sending you two different messages, you know, one message Mm -hmm. is they're saying with their mouth, I do want a relationship with you and I I do love and respect you, but with their actions, they are, they're sending the opposite message. Like, like they're pushing you away. Those -hmm. two things seem to be contradictory. What what Steve suggests, and I wish we had time to get into this, into the actual conversation with him because it's so good in his book. What, What Steve suggests is to say, of those two contradictory messages, choose the one you want to be true and work from that and then have open and honest dialogue with this person. They say they want to be in a relationship with you and you say you want to be in a relationship with them. Then then work towards that end. Work with that truth and and then be honest with them about, well, but I'm also getting this from you, but I'm going to assume that you want to be in a relationship with me and you right. want this to work. And, and so I'm going to hold to that assumption, that good assumption, and and we're going to address and deal with this other stuff. But but when you get two different messages, choose the choose the positive one, choose the one you want to be true and 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 work that work that angle until and until they they give you a reason not to and and it's it's, it's untenable. That's kind of what I picked up from right. it. Well, yeah. And I think he's, he's, I don't think he's being just overly optimistic. Like, and then all your relationships will be fine and you'll go through life with that anxiety is that no, things are hard and they are tricky, but again, you can only deal with what you've got going on and, and taking responsibility as he says, what's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it's not sugarly, sugary sweet or, um, acting like it's a magic trick. It's just like, like, a lot of times it will lead to more positive outcomes. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Same. Yeah. You know, for me, what stood out in the conversation was there seemed to be this thread as he talked about the different sources of anxiety within relationships. Mm-hmm. There seemed to be this thread of the power and importance of communication to diffuse mm-hmm. the anxiety. Um, you know, telling somebody, what your experience is like when they bring to you the phantom mob of feedback mm-hmm. Or folding in the person you're talking about in the triangulated dynamic and actually informing them and communicating with them um, all that's being said, you know, about them. There, there seemed to be um, this, this thread of communication is the, is the, the, the best way to diffuse and triage anxiety as it's induced and to, and to dissipate the impact of dysfunction as it's being lived out. And I, I just really... 
I really, I really appreciated that because that's not always my instinct. My instinct is to kind of go inside of myself when things are really anxious or to talk to a person who's not the source of anxiety about the other person. Yeah. Uh, but, but Steve's encouragement to, to us is when anxiety is manifesting itself in a relationship, um, inform the other person of what you're experiencing so they can see you as a human being. Yeah. Or if you're talking about somebody else and you really should be talking with them, fold them in, talk with them. Communication is the antidote to so much of what we're dealing with, with anxiety. Yeah. yeah so I like it when we kind of land our plane and like, what's your one takeaway? Is that uh, like sum up for me exactly what you just said, but in a shorter, like what would, <laughs> what would be your takeaway that you, you think on on this? Because I have a feeling that it's kind of that. Yeah. People always say that to me, by the way, <laughs> you know, Matt, I love what you just said. Just say it again. Although <laughs> less words, with, like, you know, do it in like 30 seconds rather than 35 <laughs> minutes. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be my, my make it simple. My, my make it simple soundbite is, mm-hmm. is, is just that communication is so often the antidote to our anxiety communication to the person who seems to be the cause of it, of of what your experience is, communication to the person that you're tempted to just talk about or worry about, and also even communication up, if you're a person of faith, communication up to God about what you're experiencing and, 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 and the peace and the calm that you need from him. Communication can be the antidote to so much of what we deal with, with anxiety and relationships. What about you, Rachel? What's your make it simple soundbite? Yeah, I think it's to, I want to go forward with my day today, just starting from a place of what's my responsibility in these situations when I feel anxious and recognizing what anxiety does to me personally. When he said that anxiety stops your imagination and to really be aware of that. And so look for opportunities to go, do I really only have two options or is there a better way to go about this or to step outside this or a solution that I'm not thinking of. Um, and so it's to be more aware of what's my responsibility and then how I'm feeling anxiety through the day so that I can walk through it well. Yeah. And we want to hear from you too. What's your takeaway? What's your make it simple soundbite from today's episode with Steve Cuss? The best way to share that with us and with everybody else who listens to Make It Simple is to head over to Instagram. And you can find us on Instagram at at M Popovitz. That's at M-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S. You'll see a post there about this episode with Steve. Just scroll down through the comments and leave yours. Let us know what your big takeaway was from Steve. And and maybe even let us know if we have Steve on again, because I think we probably will, because Steve is great. He's full of so much much really practical wisdom. Uh, What's something that you would love for us to talk about with Steve when it comes to anxiety? Uh, Maybe some questions you'd have us ask him that you think would be most helpful for you. So head over to Instagram at mpopovitz and let us know your thoughts on today's conversation with Steve Cuss. Well, Rachel... Uh, that's a great episode and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to our next time to sit down with, with an expert and try to take a big thing and, and make it simple. What do you say we do this again? Let's do it. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.